welcome to the weekly podcast for City Chapel at Slaughter Creek, the world's okayest church, right here in Austin. Get to know us better at citychapelchurch.com. We're so glad that you joined us today and hope you enjoy the message. And um, so uh, let's jump into the Word of God today. We're walking through the Gospel of Mark, verse by verse, and uh, let's keep on going. Mark chapter... I don't know, my my mic keeps cutting out here. I don't know why, but uh, Mark chapter 2, we're looking at verse 18. I'm reading out of the New King James Version. Um, Whatever version you might have is fine. It'll be up on the screen if you want to follow along. It says, the disciples of John and of the Pharisees were fasting. Then they came and said to him, the disciples of John and, and the Pharisees, Why do the disciples of John and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? I think it's in Matthew's account that the disciples of John are actually the ones asking the question. Jesus said to them, Can the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Got to get, got to get my old, my, my old garment. Got to get my old, my old garment. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, or else the new piece pulls away from the old and the tear is made worse. <laughs> Don't want that. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, or else the new wine bursts the wineskins, and the wine is spilled, and the wineskins are ruined. But new wine must be put into new wineskins. I want to talk to you today. We've been, we've been looking at the authority that Jesus has over our past, right? Jesus declares this at the beginning of chapter 2 when he says, son, your sins are forgiven. He forgives the man's sins when everybody expected him to heal his body. And Jesus shows actually that the deeper need of humanity is not healed bodies, it is forgiven sins. And not just forgiven, but pulled, cast away. He said, your sins are removed from you, is literally what he said. And, and, the, the, and the Pharisees said, wait a minute, he, doesn't, he, doesn't, he can't do that. He doesn't have power to do that. And Jesus says, okay, now just to show you that I have power to do something on the inside, I'm going to do something on the outside that proves I've done something on the inside. And that's what he did early in Mark chapter 2. And if you want to hear more about that, we preached on that a while back. Go online. You can, you can go, go, go on the website. You can watch uh, the archives of the messages. And then after Jesus teaches a little bit, right, he teaches that he has power to remove, to divorce you from your past, Right? After he teaches that, then he goes on and demonstrates that. And the way he demonstrates that is, it says after some days, he goes to Capernaum. And he goes into Capernaum and he sees a man named Matthew who's, who's collecting taxes. Actually, his name might have been Levi. We're not really sure. And I talked about that last week. But anyway, after Jesus meets him, his name he's, is referred to as Matthew, which means God's gift. And I talked about how God sees us as his gift. Like we are God's gift to the world. And so if you, if you missed last week, uh, tune, uh, go, go online, check it out. But basically, Jesus is demonstrating the fact. He says, look, I'm telling you I have power to remove you from your past, to divorce you from your past. Now let me go find one of the sketchiest people in town. 
<laughs> named Matthew, a tax collector, a gangster. Uh, a, 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 I mean, a, a, like, like I was trying to describe just how bad tax collectors were uh, because many of us have seen The Chosen and, and the, he doesn't seem that bad, you know. But this, the, he would have been a pretty bad dude. And actually I heard somebody, uh, Carolyn was telling me that, they're, that the, in the new ver- season of The Chosen, they're going to go more into Matthew's past because they were, they, were, they were concerned that too many people liked Matthew. You're not supposed to like Matthew. He's, he's a jerk. He's like, like you, you don't like child traffickers, right? You know, like those people, like you'd think those people should be locked up, right? Like we, we're, not, we're, not, we're, not, we're not cheering for evil, awful people. We're not like, yeah, Putin, he's my buddy. Like, we're, like this isn't our goal in life. You're not, and that's what Matthew is. He's a tax collector. And so he, he kills people. He jails people who don't pay their taxes, right? And so he's, he's, he's a feared person. He's a pretty evil person. And Jesus says, let me show you guys my power to remove you and divorce you from your past. Let me go find somebody that you all think is unredeemable right? So in that day, tax collectors were, were just lumped in with sinners because it's like, well, they're not going to heaven. Like, no matter what they did, it's like they're unredeemable. Jesus said, let me find somebody and prove this to you. And so the proof is in the pudding. It's in the demonstration of power. Jesus calls Matthew. Matthew leaves everything, leaves his, his massive contract with the Romans, leaves his money, which has driven his life up until now. And he decides to follow Jesus. And then he throws a party, throws a feast, and he invites all of his tax collector friends to come to the feast and scripture says that many of them began to follow Jesus so we see man the power of Jesus to divorce us from our past and it's encouraging and it's powerful and to the first century church reading this they would have been like oh my goodness really a tax collector just like that you just walked up and he just left everything like, and, and he just changed his life? He just walked away? Yes. And then he told all of his tax collector friends about this? Right? All, the, all of his mafia buddies? Like, he, he let them in on it? He's like, yep, oh, leaving the mafia. How about you guys come have dinner with me? That's not usually how it goes, you know? That's not usually how you leave the mafia. So, but yet, Matthew is walking out publicly, and we talked about that last week, embracing our faith publicly, sharing it publicly. But now, like... There's, there's, a, there's another question, and I believe Jesus is still sh- demonstrating his authority, but now he's teaching. And this is the biggest section of red letters so far in the Gospel of Mark. Mark hasn't given us many of Jesus' teachings. He's given us a lot of his actions and just a little snippet of teaching. But now we have an entire, like, two, three verses of the words of Jesus. And it's all about, it starts off with the question of fasting. It starts off with this idea of fasting. Fasting means that you are not eating. Fasting is a spiritual discipline that even as Christians we do today. Um, we, we deny ourselves food for a certain period of time in order to set that time aside to pray and to seek God. Uh, the early church did this in the book of Acts. Uh, they would fast and pray whenever they were looking for a 12th disciple, right? Or a 12th apostle. They had, they had 11 apostles, but Judas had... had exited and there was there was an empty spot and they said we need to we need to fill this spot so they prayed and fasted and then the holy spirit said set apart for me barnabas and so we know that the early church would fast we know that uh christians down through the centuries have fasted i myself fast and i encourage you all to fast to go without food for a certain period of time and it's especially powerful i think for americans because our uh, food drives us 
I don't know, if you, if you ever go without food for very long, you'll notice that at every exit, <laughs> there's a McDonald's. Everywhere you go, there is food. Like literally, you go shopping, we got food at the mall. You, everywhere, there's food literally everywhere because we're just, we are kind of gluttonous. We love our food. And it's comfort for some of us, and it's, and it's fun for some of us. That's how we celebrate. We go out to eat. Oh, it's so-and-so's birthday. Let's bake a cake and eat it, right? So it's like it, food is so much a part of our, 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 our society, just even hanging out with people. You're going you're gonna to have food at some point, you know, no matter what time of day it is. Like, well, let's meet for coffee. Let's meet for uh, snacks. Let's, like, we're just always eating. And so it's really helpful, actually, uh, to set aside food and say, you know what, for these 12 hours or whatever, I'm going to not eat. And the time I would normally eat, like lunch and breakfast, I'm going to spend that extra time in prayer and just, just seeking God. So it's a good thing. I'm not knocking fasting, and Jesus isn't knocking it either. Now, fasting in the Old Testament uh, was a little bit different. So when John's disciples come and ask Jesus about fasting, they're, they're referencing two, two main kinds of fast that they had back then. They had uh, public fasts, which were, um, for instance, in the Law of Moses, God commanded one day of fasting called the Day of Atonement. And he said that they are to afflict themselves on that day, which means, uh, you know, kind of uh, don't eat because that's self affliction, right? It's, it's, it's not fun not to eat. It's not, it doesn't feel good. And so on the day of atonement, God commanded that. And that's the only day that, as far as I can tell, that God actually commanded people to fast. But for about 200 years prior to Jesus coming, there had uh, become known something more of as a private fast. And there were other kinds of public fasts, too, that God would call in the Old Testament. Sometimes God would declare a fast, and he would say, you know what, the nation is sinful. You guys all need to fast and pray to turn away from your sins. Uh, sometimes they would declare a fast if they were going to war. Guys, we need extra prayer support, so the whole country is going to fast for these couple of days while we go into war. Sometimes if there was a drought, they would, the, uh, the government would declare sort of a fast uh, for all of the people to pray and, and ask God to send rain. So there were public fasts, and then there were something called private fasts, and these became very popular about 200 years before Jesus arrived on the scene. Private fasts were a day that you would fast just simply to pray, one, for Israel, uh, two, for the Messiah to come, three, for the protection of the people of God. And so they became known, there was actually a, a group of people known as, I think they were, they were called the Watchmen, and so they were, there were people that would fast every Monday and Thursday. And Jesus references this in the Gospel of Luke when the Pharisee prays and he says, and he says to the, to, to the Lord, he says, I fast two days a week. So he's one of the watchmen. These watchmen, they would, they would, they would be praying for the Messiah. They would be praying for, for the good of Israel. And they would be praying for protection over the people. And they, would, they were faithful, man. Every Monday and Tuesday, they're fasting from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. Uh, and, 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 and that's what they did. And there's nothing wrong with that. It became very popular, so popular that it's like, if you were going to be spiritual, that's what you did. It's not in the law of Moses. God never commanded this, but it became sort of a test of how spiritual you are. It became kind of a test of, okay, do you, are you really faithful to Jehovah? Do you really love Israel? If you really do, then you're going to fast Mondays and Thursdays. And apparently John's disciples were in on this as were most people who were serious about Jehovah. They said, all right, this is what I do. For 200 years, it kind of gets ingrained in people's heads. <laughs> and so Jesus comes along, 
and his disciples are eating and they're not fasting, which tells me this must, this is probably either a Monday or a Thursday. Because that's the only way that you know someone's fasting when, when everybody's at a party, right? They're at Matthew's party. So this is also kind of interesting to me that, that this is all within the context of, of being at Matthew's house. That, that Matthew has, has decided to follow Jesus. He invites his, 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 his sinner friends to come. They meet Jesus. They decide to start following Jesus. That's the party. And yet they're passing the food around and some people are not eating. The Pharisees and the disciples of John. Because, oh, it's Thursday. I can't eat today. And there's nothing particularly wrong about that. Jesus doesn't call them out. But they actually come to him, and you have a couple of things. One, you have the disciples of, of the Pharisees who grumble amongst themselves, and they say, they say, why is this man eating with these people? And Jesus kind of goes off on them, which I talked about last week. He's kind of harsh with them. But then you have the disciples of John, and they're asking, why is Jesus eating at all? It's Thursday. It's no eating day. All religious, serious people are fasting on Thursday. So it's just interesting to me that the disciples of John, they have, they have a question about the eating, but it's different than the Pharisees. The Pharisees are like, you shouldn't be eating with these people. The disciples of John are like, we shouldn't be eating at all, right? Like, it's okay to be here. It's okay to hang out, but, but, but I'm going to be in the world, but not of it, right? I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to have your steak. Thank you very much. You know, I'm good. And that's kind of the way that they're going. And they're genuinely, I think they're genuinely uh, wondering what's going on with Jesus. Because remember, the, they are the disciples of John. John recommended that they follow Jesus. John, while he was out of jail, he said, look, go follow Jesus because he's the man. I'm not the man. You go follow him. And so the disciples of John, they call, they, they're still called the disciples of John. So they haven't decided to follow Jesus yet. They're still on the fence. They're still trying to figure him out. And they notice, wait a minute, Jesus' disciples are eating on a Thursday. Why? Why are you doing this? And so Jesus takes this, this teaching on fasting, which it actually is a pretty good teaching on fasting. I've shared um, when preaching on fasting, I've shared from this passage because one, Jesus points out the fact that, 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 that fasting is something you do when Jesus' physical body is not with you anymore. Because it's an act of mourning. Fasting is an act of mourning. It's an act of saying everything is not all right in my life. Right? So I need something from God. Okay? And that's why I fast weekly because I need something from God every week. No matter how good my life is going, like I can have the best day, but on my best day, I need God. On my best day, something's missing. This world, it's Jesus. It's his physical presence with me is missing. This world is not my home. I don't care what, how, what kind of car I get or what kind of car I drive or what kind of friends I have or what kind of football game I get to go to, even if the Lions win. Something's missing. Something missing. Because I've, I've been up here and I've been down here and in both places I've noticed that neither one satisfies. Something's missing from my life. I'm not home. Right? And so fasting is good because it's a recognition that even as an American, even as all the blessings that I have and I enjoy and I thank God for something, this is not enough. I need more. I need to be with God. My family is not enough. My family doesn't satisfy me. My family doesn't fulfill me. My, 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 my marriage doesn't fulfill me. Nothing on this earth fulfills me like God does. 
I was created for him. And until I get to where he is, I'm not happy. And so it's good sometimes to fast just to remind yourself that, hey, you know what? This is not my home. And things are going great, but it is not my home. And I need more. And so it's a good teaching on fasting. But beyond the teaching on fasting, Jesus is taking the teaching on fasting and he's using it to teach John's disciples about him, about who he is. There's three things that Jesus says he is in this passage. If you want to write this down real quickly, first off, he is the groom. He is the groom. And it's interesting that Jesus announces this to John's disciples. Because John himself used this same allegory when talking about Jesus, right? Uh, the Pharisees were concerned that, that John, John's church was shrinking, Jesus' church was growing. And John said, guys, <laughs> I'm not the groom. He's the groom. I'm the friend of the groom, meaning the best man at the wedding. I'm here to help the bride connect with the groom. I'm here to walk her down the aisle, hand her off to Jesus. Jesus is the groom. And so Jesus reminds John's disciples, remember, your guy said that I'm the groom. He's not the groom. So, so in many ways, Jesus is calling John's disciples to stop being disciples of John and be disciples of Jesus. And I think in many ways, he's calling us to the same thing. We, we, we often get confused with the people who lead us to Jesus with Jesus. We often put our faith in a church when it should be in Jesus. We often put our faith in a pastor when it should be in Jesus. We often put our faith even in somebody that we know and respect, a grandparent, a mother, a father. And we need to put our faith in Jesus. I was talking to a friend recently and they uh, were walking this family, walking with this family through grief. The, the father had died and left behind some, teenage, uh, some teenagers. He's, he wasn't much older than me and left behind a devastated wife, devastated teenagers. And obviously he died younger than, than what you would expect. But the grief process has been not very, not very good for this, this family, even though they're a Christian family. Their grieving process, in many ways, they got sort of stuck in the anger phase. <laughs> you know, mad at God, mad at people of God. Those Christians, they just don't understand. They don't do enough. They don't think about other people. Like, just mad, just angry. And, you, and, and hey, you can, get, you can get caught in the anger phase for a good 30, 40 years if you want. But, but it's, it, this is not how God wants you to walk through grief. Yes, you'll have to go through the anger, but then you come out the other side of that in forgiveness and you come out, you come out, it's not like it never happened, but it's you're stronger for it, for the grieving. And so it's, so they're not going through the grief stage very well. And, and I said, man, I, I like, and I, I'm, I'm slow to judge other people's grief because I'm not going through what they're going through. But the truth is, if I were to die in the next five years, I would want my family to grieve differently. I don't want them to turn to alcohol. I don't want them to turn to anger. I don't want them to become bitter. I don't want them to isolate themselves. I don't want them to turn against God or the church. Like, I want to live in such a way that if I were to die, their faith would be rooted in Jesus and not in Harry. So it's so important that as husbands, that we lead our wives to Jesus, not to us. Because basically what, what Jesus is saying, look, I'm the groom, which means the, it's my party. This whole part of this whole wedding, this is all about me. This is about me and my bride coming together. And so, and so, so your wife's journey through life is not about getting to know you and getting to rely on you and getting to listen to your wisdom. 
right? Because <laughs> you all are very wise. I know. We're going to talk about that tonight and Monday, just how wise you all are, even though nobody listens to you. We got you. But I'm just saying, like, like no matter how, like, you could actually be really wise, pouring out all kinds of wisdom, but they need to hear from Jesus. Like, they need a relationship with Jesus, not just with you and then through you to Jesus, but no, on their own. They, your wife needs Jesus just by herself. Your kids need Jesus just by themselves. Not, not just you telling them what Jesus would do and what Jesus thinks and who Jesus is. No, like they need Jesus. They need a personal relationship with Jesus themselves. And if you come to City Chapel and all you do is get a relationship with City Chapel and all you do is get a relationship with a couple of pastors or a couple of good people, then we've completely missed it. Our job is to lead you to Jesus. So that you have a sustaining, life-giving, anchoring relationship with Jesus. We are the conduit. We are not the point. It's not about pastors. It's not about singers. It's not about a building. It's not about a church. It is about a relationship with Jesus. And so we want you to find that relationship with Jesus. And this is what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, man, the party is about me. Like, I'm the groom, therefore, this whole thing is about me and my bride. As a groom, that means he is desperately in love with his bride. He loves you, not just desiring to save you, but he wants to be in relationship with you. He wants to hang out with you. He, he wants to commit himself to you. He wants to make vows with you. He wants to give you his name. He wants to bring you into his house. He wants to bring us into relationship with him. He said, look, I, he's saying, look, I am the groom. You guys are the friends of the groom. And so what he's doing actually is he's bringing some revelation to the, to the meal that they're having. The, 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 the disciples of John think this is just a dinner or this is just a lunch at Matthew's house. No, no, no. This isn't just a lunch at Matthew's house. This is a wedding feast. You don't understand. Matthew is committing his life to me. Matthew's friends are committing their lives to me. This whole thing, this is a celebration. And Jesus says, look, when, when your friend is having a wedding, then you don't fast on Thursday, right? Like when you're a part of the wedding party, it's rude to be like, I'm not going to eat anything. So you actually kind of cancel the private fast because your friend is getting married. He says, look, man, right now your friend, the groom, Jesus, is, is being connected, intimately connected with these sinners, these people who are far from God. So this isn't just a regular meal. This is a party. And so just like you give up fasting when your friend gets married or there's some big special event, say like the feast days, a lot of times the feast days in Jerusalem would fall on Monday or Thursday, in which case they would not fast because God had commanded them to feast. And so Jesus is saying, look, there's times for fasting, but there's other times where you set that aside because it's a party. This is one of those times. I am, and this is what's happening. Like what, 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 what's happening is that there is a shift. When, when God decides to cancel your past and to divorce you from your past, he asks you to step into a new season. A new season where you start seeing what he's doing instead of what he did. He's asking the disciples of John, stop looking at what I have done right? And actually come look at what I'm doing right now. In fact, you know, they're, they're fasting on Mondays and Thursdays for the coming of the Messiah. And Jesus is like, I'm here. You don't need to fast for the coming of the Messiah. The Messiah is here. And you say, oh, those silly people fasting for stuff, praying for stuff that's right in front of them. Those silly people. 
I feel like pastoring is just helping people just accept what's right in front of them half the time. Like, oh, Lord, I need healing. I need healing. How about you eat healthy? No, no, no. I need healing. I need healing for my body. My body's broken. How about you change your diet? No, I don't want to do that. I need community, Lord. I'm so lonely. How about you go to one of these small groups? No, that's crazy. I need community, Lord. I'm so lonely. I need to marry a quality person. How about you stop dating losers? No, no, that's crazy. I'll date this loser because they'll become a quality person. It's the 16th one in a row. I'm sure this time is a charm. Oh, Lord, I need money. How about you stop wasting on Netflix? No, no, I need Netflix, but I need money. It's crazy. Like, there's stuff right in front of us. And Jesus is like, at some point, it's a, it's a waste to fast and to pray for something that God's already provided for you. Lord, I just wish you'd speak to me. I just want to know your will. Here's a Bible. Oh, no, I'm not going to read that. That's crazy. Lord, just speak to me. Tell me your will. <laughs> so, well, no, 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 the Bible is his revealed will. Like, this, is, this is how he thinks. This is what he likes. This is what he doesn't like. Like, this is him. It's actually, he is the word. So, you know, we don't worship a book, but the word on the book, this is him, his presence. Well, I just want to connect with you. I just want to know you. Okay, well, I'm just going to go take communion. Ah, that's silly. It doesn't work. It's so interesting, stuff that's right in front of us. We're like, ah, that seems too hard. Jesus is telling the disciples of John, he's like, look, there's a groom right in front of you. And that groom loves his bride. That groom has prepared for his bride. That groom is ready for the day when he connects with his bride. And he is right now calling people. He is right now connecting. And he is the point of the whole thing. Which, so in this first parable where Jesus is the groom, that means we are the bride. We are his bride. We are his prize. We are the one that he's looking for. Secondly, he says uh, another parable to them. He says, let me, let me explain it in another way. He said, no one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment or else the new piece pulls away from the old and the tear is made worse. What's he saying? He's saying nobody uh, takes, takes an old garment that's got holes in it, that's busted up, and takes a new garment and just simply applies patches to it. So what I wanted to do is I wanted to give you a little illustration. I grabbed some of my clothes from my closet this morning. And uh, I was going to wear these jeans, but then I thought it would be a little tough if they're on my body. But these are, these are my, my more holy jeans. Um, they're actually not old. The, you, you pay extra for the, for the holes. But, <laughs> so, uh, but no, these are, like, these are like some holy jeans. And so these are, because this is, this is jeans, right? This is what he's talking about. Because back in the day, they wore robes. Um, we don't wear robes. So what, what he's saying, Jesus is saying, I am a new garment. So what, what he's saying is, look, your life, if I'm going to have authority over your past, if I'm going to have power to divorce you from who you were, let's be honest about who you were. Got some holes. <laughs> you got, you got some, some things messed up. You got some, some areas of your life that you're not proud of, some, some parts that, I never like this hole because it's like I'm trying to pull the pocket down so people don't see my white leg. Anyway, you got, <laughs> and I did actually put a little duct tape on the inside of this one because you can go right, right, right through there and that's not, that's never good when you're sitting down. So I'm trying to stay modest. <laughs> but anyway, you guys, but this, but, 
But this is your life. Some of us, man, like some, some of the holes have been busted into our life to, like from an early age. It's not even our fault. So as kids, man, we had childhood abuse, ways that just totally tore into us. Stuff that was spoken over us, stuff that was said to us, stuff that was expected of us, stuff that was forced on us. Life will beat you up, right? And you get an old garment, you get an old, some old jeans. And you're walking, you're walking into church, walking into city chapel, man, saying, man, I got, I got some holes in my marriage. We, 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 we can't talk without fighting. Can't communicate. I've got some holes in my marriage. I've got some holes in my kids. I don't know. They're, they're brats. I don't, I, don't, I don't know what to do with them. Like, there's just, just, just some issues. Like, I don't, I don't know how to... I, you got some holes in, 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 in my health, right? We, we have various ways. We've got, got some addictions going on that have been there for a long time. We've tried to address it at various times. But we come to God because we're holy. <laughs> uh, not holy in the sense of righteous, but holy in the sense of we got a lot of holes. We were missing a lot. And we're like, God, I need you. And this is where the disciples of John are. That's why they followed John. Because John was calling them to a greater way of living. He was saying, look, put aside that. Lay down that. Stop doing that. Start doing this. These guys are hungry to truly be holy. But they found, they knew they had a lot of holes in their life. Things weren't working the way they were doing it. And so they came to John. They said, John, show us a better way. And John did show them a better way. But that better way culminated in following Jesus. So they went, they went 90%. They got the behavior. They got the theology. But they had not yet received the new garment of Jesus. So these are some, I tried to find some jeans that didn't have holes in them. These are they. These are the jeans that don't have any holes in them. And so what happens is Jesus comes on the scene and Jesus is a brand new garment right? He's a brand new garment. And man, we've seen people at City Chapel just come in like this, and then they receive Jesus, and they just take these off, and they put this on, and they walk out the door, and people, are, people who knew them before are stunned at who they are, just like the disciples of John are stunned at the disciples of Jesus. Why are you acting like that? Why are you not fasting? What's up? Jesus said, let me explain. It's because they've got to know me. Isn't it interesting that the disciples' behavior caused questions in people that Jesus could relate back to who he was? This is what God wants to do in your life. He wants to so change your behavior that when people ask you about your change of behavior, you don't talk about your change of behavior. You talk about the gift of a brand new clothing that you received. Jesus says, I am a new garment. I am a new righteousness that you can put on. I am a new armor of God that you can clothe yourself in. I am the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness that you can put on. But oftentimes we don't do that. Oftentimes we're very much like the disciples of John. We got our behavior, we're working on it. We got our theology, we're learning it. And we're there with Jesus in proximity and we're checking him out. We're observing. So what, we, what, what often we do is we keep our old genes and we just try to patch. We do patchwork theology, right? So, so we'll, have, we'll have these old genes. We'll have these old genes. And, then, and, and, and this is what's so brutal. And this is what Jesus is telling them. Jesus is saying, look, you got, you got these, these, these old genes and you, you don't like all the holes because they're old. And they're like all the holes. Fine. Change it out for new. But the worst thing that you can do is take the new genes that you got 
and be like, okay, I need to patch that hole right there. So I'm not really a seamstress. But I just, there we go. Just, just kind of get the, get the hole started. And so it's like, okay, I need to patch the size that's about that big. So I'm going to need a, a size something like, something like this. What, what happens is we, and we often do this, we come to God and we're like, okay, God, I need you to, I need you to patch up my holes. I want to keep my life. <laughs> I want to keep the same jeans because there's stuff about those old jeans I really like. You know, the, 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 the motorcycle ribs, even though I'd never ridden a motorcycle in my life because it scared me to death. I rode a moped once, got up to 30 miles an hour, and I was like praying the whole way. I was like, Lord, I should have been fasting today because if I'm going to see Jesus, I want to see him ready. But anyway, I got the look. <laughs> That's what I'm all about. So, you know, and I, I don't have any way to sew this, so I just got some duct tape. So I'm thinking, okay, so we want to we wanna try to patch that guy. That guy right there, duct tape works. Uh, we want to try to patch that guy. So what we'll do is we'll grab a bit of teaching Jesus, say, of Jesus, like, say, like, about our marriage. Okay, so we need, we need, we need, we got a hole in our marriage. We got to fix this. We got to patch this up. And so we'll, so we'll come to church, we'll grab a little bit, and we'll be like, all right, cool, I can apply this to my life, and we apply it. <laughs> and the truth is, the teachings of Jesus were never meant to be applied to your life. The teachings of Jesus were meant to replace your life. So what happens is when we, when we do this kind of cookie cutter, kind of uh, uh, patchwork kind of theology, we end up patching our lives in ways that, one, they don't last, they don't hold. We try to apply his teaching to our life. We try to apply, so, and so this is what Jesus is saying. He's like, guys, you guys are still working with the original genes that you had to begin with, which is and so you're taking behavior and you're patching behavior on top of a heart that really wants to stray. And it doesn't last because the patchwork doesn't fit. And not only does it not last, but then you jack up your new pair of jeans. You totally, like, you're, you're, you're not understanding. And you got some extra stuff in your pockets. You're not, under, or man, you're not understanding who I am. You're messing up me, but you're not also not helping you. Because after all of your behavior modification, your heart is still the same, and that ends up showing. One, one really practical example of this that Ro and I were talking about just the other night, we were talking about this, just a pattern that I've kind of started to see with regard to like parents, like uh, people my age, I'm, I'm, I'm 42, and I was raised in a Christian home by parents who had never done it before. They didn't know what they were doing. <laughs> And so they went to several conferences and seminars. They got a hold of some mentors and they were like, teach us your ways. We don't know what we're doing. And that's kind of how they did. And so I grew up though, from the time that I was like super little, two weeks old, I was brought to my first church meeting when I was two weeks old. From early age, I, brought, I was brought up in a Christian home. However, many people who are my age, who are in this room right now, you were not brought up in a Christian home. You were brought up in, an, in a rather ungodly home. And you were saved later on in life, say as a teenager, as an early 20-something. And God radically saved you and changed you and praise God for that. That's awesome. And then, though, the, the, the problem is then these people who are saved, they go and find other people who are also saved and they get married. Right? And there's nothing wrong with it. That's wonderful. They create a family. They create a home. And they 
they, 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 they don't understand that they've never actually been in a Christian home. They've never actually seen what it looks like to raise Christian children. They know that God radically changed them. They know that they love God with all of their heart. And so there's a, there's a bit of patchwork that they do because what they realize is they look back on their own life and they're like, man, there are all these holes in my upbringing. We never went to church, right? So, hey, we're going to start going to church. That's what our family's going to do. We're going to go to church. So we, so we try to, so we grab that little tidbit and then like the list, listen to a sermon. Oh yeah, that's good. We should probably try that. We should probably try that and grab these different patches to try to make your, your home better than the one you grew up in. Right. And it is better, right? I mean, clearly, obviously way better. <laughs> now it is better. I mean, you didn't go to church as a kid. Your kids are going to church. They get to hear from pastor Eddie every Sunday. That's better. But it's not enough. Because if, if you don't actually change out the pants that you're wearing, if you keep the old value systems and add to it new practices, if you keep the old structure and add to it new, uh, new ideas, you're not actually changing anything out. Here's, here's what I would suggest. If you don't know what a Christian family looks like, you go find a Christian family. <laughs> Look around this room. There's a, the Larson's right back there. There's one. I'll call them out. Now, there's some Christian families here. You go find a Christian family and you ask them, how did you do that? What do you do? Because I don't know what the heck I'm doing. <laughs> You be honest. You, you find somebody. It, it's, this is why small groups are so powerful because it is within small groups you get talking about deeper things with other people from the church and you're like, oh, hey, they are doing something that I really like. Their kids are turning out how I want my kids to turn out. What's your secret? What are you doing? Why? Because you have to actually change out the, the actual jeans that you're wearing. You must change out the entire garment. And that's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying on a, on a bigger level, not, 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 not so much parenting, that, that's sort of a parenting application, but on a bigger level, Jesus is saying, look, I am a brand new garment. I'm not just a new way of doing things. I am a brand new garment. And so if you're going to come to me, you're going to have to replace your entire value system, all the stuff you've been doing, fasting Mondays and Thursdays and all that stuff. Like you're going to have to walk away from all of that and just follow me. Just trust me. You say, well, well, what does that look like beyond parenting? Well, it looks very similar. One, you see somebody who's following Jesus. You go up and find them and you say, how are you doing it? How are you dating so well? We were talking about that in small group in St. Chapel University this week, right? Because many of us are doing things for the first time. We want to do them right, right? And instead of just patching on, it's like, well, okay, well, I heard this on YouTube one time. No, instead of just patching, the God, God's plan is mentoring. God's plan is the body of Christ coming alongside other people in the body of Christ and saying, look, this is how I did it. Not prideful, but this is, this is what I learned. Right? The Jones. Go, go talk to Eddie and Priscilla. <laughs> this, is, this is what I learned. This is what, this is what we went through. Right? And this is how we learn from it. Because nobody's perfect. I'm not saying anybody's perfect. Not to put anybody up on a pedestal. But yet we must have mentors. We must have people that we connect with that say, how do you change out the old genes? Because there's stuff I... I really like about these, these old jeans and certain things. And it's like, no, it, it has to be a full-on shift in your life. And so you find somebody who's walking with Jesus. You find somebody who's filled with the Holy Spirit. How did you do that? What, what process did you go through? 
Will you pray with me? Will you walk with me? Can I call you once a week and just tell you what's going on in my life and what I'm thinking? Because it's probably wrong. So you could just kind of help me, correct me. Be like, nah, I wouldn't do that. Look this way. You know, maybe, maybe I can bounce stuff off you. And so, so this is a, and that's what Jesus is inviting them. He said, hey, come be my disciples. He's not asking them to change everything all at once. Just stop calling yourselves disciples of John who are deciding whether or not they're going to become disciples of Jesus and actually become a disciple of Jesus. Come hang out with us. Come learn from me. Come put on some brand new jeans. Because if you don't, if you sit on the sideline and if you try to take little bits that you like, which is what the disciples of John are doing. They're obviously there for the teaching. They like the teaching. Cool. Take my teaching without my value system. You're chopping me up. You're chopping me up and you're ruining me and you're not helping you. And so what should I do, Pastor Harry, if, I, if, I, if I've just been doing this patchwork theology? Stop, 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 stop right now. <laughs> you need a full-on new dress from Jesus. And this comes through discipleship. This comes through connecting with somebody else who is walking with Jesus and asking them, how did you put that on? Because I got it when I prayed, and that's cool, walking around with it. But how do, how do you take that off, and how do you put this on? Seems easy, but it's not. It's a process. It's a multi-year process. It's a journey. So you, so you must find somebody. You must hook up with somebody. You must link up with somebody. You must be, become a disciple. A disciple is somebody who walks along with somebody else and, and learns from them. Not to put any human on a pedestal, but to say that some of these guys, like the disciples of Jesus, they knew stuff that the disciples of John did not know. They lived stuff that the disciples of John could not live. And they're like, how do we get there? How do we get free from fasting Mondays and Thursdays? How do we do that? Because that's the only way I know how to feel close to God. And Jesus says, okay, follow me. I'll show you how to be close without the ritual that you've always had. So one really good question to ask is, oftentimes I think God is trying to do this in our life all the time. He's trying to, <laughs> that's why I didn't want to wear these today. because He's trying to like take our old jeans off and put the new Christ that we received when we were saved, put on. He's trying to do that all the time. But the problem is we're like, ah, I don't know. That doesn't fit me like that fits me. I'm more comfortable in these. And so what I would say also is one, find a mentor. Two, where is the, what's the last thing that you felt like God told you to do and you're like, I don't want to do that? Go back to that thing. Because that's probably the left leg that he's trying to take off of your old life. <laughs> Whatever the last thing was. You don't, you don't have to do the whole thing all at once. But just that last thing. That's probably like the left leg. Getting that left leg out. Because sometimes it's hard to get these things off. This kind of catches around your, your thighs. It's pretty skinny jeans. You know, they're, they're kind of tough. And it's like, no, nah, I'd rather just keep them on. No, God wants to change. God wants to make a change in your life. And so go do that. Go home right away and say, okay, God. I'm going, I'm going to do that. And you'll be amazed, one, at how awkward the new feels. But you'll also be amazed that as you walk in the new, how much better the new is for you. And how it addresses so many different things you didn't even know were connected. So many times we're living with bloody knees, we didn't even know it's because we had these holes. We weren't aware 
the cost of our old life, what it's costing us, and the freedom that Jesus has on the other side. The final thing that Jesus is, and this is my last point, so it's 32nd point. The final one is that Jesus is a gift. He's a groom, he's a garment, and he's a gift. The first two illustrations really show some need within us, right? So on the, on, on, on the one hand, we are a bride, right? And being, we, we need, we're, we're a single woman who needs someone to provide for him. Christ says, I'm that one. I will provide for you. And that's awesome. And secondly, we are tattered old clothing. And we need someone to restore us. And Jesus says, I am that restoration. I am the new clothes. But the third one, it's just, uh, he, he says that there's a wineskin. There's an old wineskin and there's old wine in it. Um, back in the day, that's how they would store wine. It was the, the best way to store it. So we still use uh, skin today for stuff like sausage. You know, it's thin, pull it really, really thin and wrap it around sausage. It's kind of waterproof. It keeps all the nasty meat in there and the spices, which are good. And, uh, you know, it's edible. And so that's what they would use. They would use like some kind of skin of an animal and they would fill it with, with grape juice. And then they would be able to tie it off. That was the key. You could get it much more tight, a lot less oxygen. They didn't have screw-on caps and stuff. And so you could tie it off. And inside of that skin, the, the wine would ferment. What's interesting is that the skin is quite flexible early on. And that's important because as the wine is fermenting, it's releasing oxygen and, I don't know, gases. And there's a, there's a whole chemistry lesson within the fermentation of wine. And it needs to be, have the freedom and the flexibility to expand some. And the skin of the animal would do that. And so they would, they would tie it off and they would put it in a cellar somewhere. And it would, it would ferment and it would be able to expand a bit. But as it got older, it got more rigid and the skin wouldn't be able to expand. But that was fine because the, the wine stopped expanding. Interestingly enough, the, the skin is affected by the wine. And the wine is affected by the skin. They both work together. So the, the faith that you have inside will affect what you look like on the outside. And what you do on the outside will also affect what you believe on the inside. Some people's theology is more experienced than it is written doctrine. Well, I just think God is da, 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 da. And it's true, because if you live a certain way long enough, you will believe that God is very similar to you. And so, what, so your skin is affecting the wine of the faith that God's pouring inside of you. And what happens is, uh, you, you, these, this, this old skin, this old wine, is fine. It's just sitting there. It's not like the bride who needs to be married. It's not like the tattered clothes that need to be repaired. Really, the only thing that causes a problem here is that somebody is ready to pour out new wine. And so it really is the gift that causes an issue in this case. Jesus says, look, I am a groom. I'm here to meet your need, your longing for connection, your longing for love, for belonging. He says, I am a new set of clothes. I'm here to meet your nakedness. I'm here to cover uh, the holes in your life and not only that but to give you a brand new way of living a brand new righteousness to put on a brand new way of thinking I'm, it's, it, it, but they're all because there's issues with with us but in the last one he says no now the issue is the fact that the father has decided to get pour out new wine and so because of that we need new 
wine skin. We need a new receptor for that. And Jesus says, I will be that. Because if I just poured this out on you, it would break you. If I just laid on you the high standards of the kingdom of God, you would be broken. So I don't do that. I give my life, I give my skin to receive for you, to replace just like the genes. I'm not asking you to patch this thing up. I'm asking you to take me fully, right? And we often tell God, hey, Lord, take all of me. Okay, in this case, Jesus is saying, you need to take all of me because you're going to need me to be able to hold this new faith that I'm pouring out. And even so, many of us grew up in the church. We know church. But if you want to do more than church, if you want a relationship with God, you need a fresh revelation of who Jesus is so that he can actually house and contain and hold this new faith that God's pouring out. So it's interesting. This one is caused by the Father. The Father says, I'm pouring out new faith. I'm pouring out new wine. I'm pouring out a new uh, experience of the Holy Spirit. And so it's an offer. That's the way Jesus leaves it with the disciples of John. It's an offer. You can, you can receive it or you can walk away. But this is the offer that God for free, without cost, they don't have to pay for this new wine. They don't have to pay for this new faith. It's already been paid for. It's being poured out. But in order to receive the, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, you're going to need Jesus. And you're going to need to throw out your old system, throw out your old skin, get rid of your old genes, <clears throat> get rid of your old boyfriends. I'm working back on the analogies. <laughs> and fully embrace all of your new groom, fully embrace all of your new genes, and fully embrace your brand new container to receive what God has for you. Would you just pray with me for just a minute? I would like to... Uh, ask you the same, the same thing, Gee, the same invitation. I just put it out to you. I just put out the same invitation. It's an invitation that is open, I believe, biblically to all of us. That God wants all of us to become his disciples. And he sees so many of us that we grew up under religion and we have this certain idea. But I believe that God doesn't just want us to patch things together. He wants to give us a whole new life. So if you've never received Jesus, if you've never received that new life, I would just invite you right now. Scripture says that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Will receive a brand new pair of jeans. <laughs> and if you'd like to receive that today, would you just raise your hand and say, I'm... I'm receiving that today. I want to make that decision and call on God for a brand new pair of jeans. Brand new. And what I mean by pair, pair of jeans, I mean a brand new way of living, a brand new identity, a brand new clothing, brand new robe around me. That when people look at me, it's going to look different. That as I walk through my life, it's going to feel different. Awesome. Whoever calls in the name of the Lord. So this is all you do is you just call on Jesus. You say, Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Cleanse me from the inside. Give me this new life that you promised. Give me this new faith that you promised, this new wine. Pour it out within a brand new container. I need a new container. I need a new skin. I need new clothes. And in the first analogy, I say yes to my groom. 
He's proposing to me. I say yes to him. I will be faithful to him. I will covenant with him. I would say till death do us part, but death is not parting us. So I will covenant with him forever. I am my beloved and he is mine. Thank you for that, Lord. And, and, and for others, you've received the genes, but you, you need help putting them on. I want to challenge you right now. Just, just take just a moment and just ask the Lord. Ask God. Say, Lord, what, what kind of person could I connect with? What kind of mentor? Is there somebody in my life, somebody that I know here at City Chapel, somebody that I've met, somebody in, a, in my small group? Maybe I don't go to a small group, so maybe I need to join a small group. But Lord, what's the next step for me? Who just brings somebody to my mind that I could talk to, that I could call today, or I just talk to after service and get their phone number, get their text message, so that I can start learning how to take off the old and put on the new and have coffee with them or whatever, that I would become a disciple. Father, we pray that you would speak to us. We pray that you would bring people to our minds. Faces to our minds, names to our minds. Thank you that your spirit is so faithful to lead us and to direct us. We trust you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, we love you guys. You're dismissed. Thank you for joining us for church today. Men, we'll see you tonight at Man Day. Um, if you want to join us Wednesday night, we do have City Chapel University. So we're going to be talking about spiritual gifts this Wednesday night. Come join us at 6.30. Have a good week.